0: Well, amen, what a great song. Uh, I like that part where it says, my soul cries out hallelujah, isn't that great? And that's what we should be doing, and we're doing it today, we're here to worship our Savior. And uh, as we get, you know, as a Christian, we get to rejoice about Easter every day, but looking forward to Easter, I'm excited about it. I I love that time of the year, both Christmas and Easter, when we celebrate our Savior and put even more emphasis on it. But glad you're here today, we had a great first service, it was good to see many people here. Hadn't seen in a while and excited. I see some faces here I haven't seen for a while. I'm excited about that. Um, but it uh, was good yesterday in our uh, men's prayer meeting, Pastor actually joined on in the Zoom. And it was good to see him face to face. I've texted him, I've talked to him a couple times on the phone, but to see him face to face was pretty awesome. And I uh, was surprised when he jumped in. He lost connection once or twice, but he, he logged back in. So it was good, just good to see him. And uh, he is looking, as Mike said, uh, he's hoping that if things go well, he'll be out within, hopefully tomorrow. I think Monday was the goal. And then his prayer is that he'll be strong enough to be home by Easter. And so I'm looking forward to that. I hope he, it works, but I don't want him to fly home till he's strong enough. Uh, but I do, uh, it was just good to see him and just uh, encourage me, I know. And uh, uh, hopefully we were an encouragement to him too. But I know he appreciates, he said many times, many people have reached out to him through text and different ways. And he's really appreciated all the encouragement and like Mike says, we just keep praying until he gets back, and then don't stop praying. Just keep praying for pastor. pastor. Uh, always gotta lift our pastor up in prayer. Uh, we, all sp- we all fight a spiritual warfare, but pastors have a bigger brunt of that, I think, as they lead the churches and stuff. But look, we're gonna start today, uh, today's title of the message is just called Perfection, and it's the perfection of our Savior, not of us, obviously, but of our Savior. And uh, we're gonna start off, um, you know, in the next three weeks we're gonna do um, we have perfection as this week, and then Brother Mike's going to be next week, doing the uh, talking about the love and uh, on the cross and all those kind of things. And then Easter Sunday will be the living hope. And of course, as Mike said, we're looking forward to the children singing on Easter Sunday. We're looking forward to that them being able to do that. But today, as we look at perfection, we're going to talk about. Next week is Palm Sunday. Today, I'm going to start off with the um, triumphal entry into uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, that's not going to be our focus of the whole message, but it's just going to be our jumping off point. But if you want to turn to Matthew chapter twenty one, Matthew chapter twenty one and starting in verse one, that's where we're going to be today. Um right before I start, I'd like to open in a, uh, another word of prayer here. So while you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, again for answers to prayer we've seen specifically with our pastor. We pray as Easter is in two weeks, Lord, there'll be many people. There's so many people that still need to know you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, help us to be good witnesses for you and to get the gospel out. Help us to invite people, pass out tracts and those things. There's so many people uh, that need to know you. And Lord, we thank you for what you did for us. And as we look at that today, Lord, I pray that there's no sin in our lives that would hinder our uh, worship of you this morning. Lord, forgive me for all my sin. Lord, I do pray as I uh, give out the word today, you'd only ha- uh, have me say what you want me to say. And Lord, help me to speak the, lo- the truth in love. And Lord, I thank you for your great power, your great mercy towards us. And as we study today, your perfection. I praise you now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, as we get started, the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem is in all four Gospels. Uh, we're going to look at the, the one in Matthew 21. But if you're interested, it's found also in Mark uh, chapter 11, Luke 19, and John 12. So it's found in all those passages. Um, and each of them are the same, but they have a little bit more in it. Like in this particular passage we're going to read, it, remember uh, Jesus talks about um, you know, go, going to get the donkey. And he says, if, if, if anybody asks you, just tell them I have need of it. Well, in, one of the, in, the other, in two of the other accounts, it talks about them questioning him. What are you doing taking our donkey? said, so Jesus has need of it, and then they just let it go. It's just amazing. God thought of every little detail for his ministry here on earth. And it's just exciting to see that. But let's look here. Um, Matthew 21, verse 1, it says, And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you. Straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt the full of an ass. And that's a direct fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9 9. So if you get a chance this week, take a look at that. Verse 6 says, "'And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set them thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and followed cried, saying, "'Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest!' And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. So as we look here, our our real jumping off point that I want to see is verse 9. Verse 9 says, The multitudes went before, they followed, cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And a couple of the other passages in the Gospels that record this, they also call him the king, and they call him a few other things too they there, all titles he's deserving of. But today we're going to look at his qualifications. We talk about him being perfect. Uh, we're going to talk about his qualifications, and it's interesting to say, in, 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 after verse 9 and verse 10, it says, the, the crowd's asking, who is this? Verse 11, they say, it's the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And he was a prophet also, but he was much, much more than that. And of course, you and I know that, but our job is to be a witness and a testimony for him. Now, when you think about qualifications, uh, at some point in your life, you probably had to apply for a job. Uh, If not, that means you're mooching off us taxpayers, okay? Uh, But uh, you had to look for a job, and you probably either had to fill out an application, or you had to make a resume up, or maybe you had to take some tests or those kind of things to prove you could be proficient at the job they're going to hire you for. But, you know, you think about, um, you know, I had no problem doing an application or taking the test. But if you're like me, I hate doing a resume. Now, I haven't done one in a long time. I've been working here quite some time. But I remember having to do a resume from time to time for jobs. And, you know, it's changed a lot in my lifetime. When you first did a resume, it would be like a couple pages in length and it would have a lot of details in it. But now they stress to you, make sure your resume is only one page and it's quick and to the point because the person that's doing the hiring is looking at a bunch of those. And I personally believe our attention span has shrunk over the years because of the, the, the you know, the, the phones and all the things that we're, we get so much news so much faster and all that stuff. But, um, but, but um, when you did your resume, you kind of had to brag on yourself. And for some of us, that's either easier than others. I mean, some people have no problem. But for me, it was always tough to say, okay, what, what am I qualified for? You know, you'd sit there on the resume and you start listing stuff. And then, you know, on your last job, you took out the trash. So you said you were a sanitation engineer. You know, that was, it wasn't that I took out the trash. It was like, I'm the sanitation engineer. The place could not run without me. Um, Guess what? I'm still taking the trash out. Doesn't matter what job I've had, I take the trash out. Take the trash out at home, take the trash out here, you know. But sanitation engineer sounds a lot better than, hey, I'm the guy that took out the trash. I was the lowest guy hired. I was mopping the bathrooms and cleaning them, you know, whatever. uh, Whatever, but on your resume, you just make it sound good. I'm the sanitation engineer, just sounds wonderful. Uh, But you know, when we look at a resume and being qualified to do something, in the book of Hebrews, God lays out the resume for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to challenge you before I even start the message to spend some time in Hebrews this week because there is so much there, I'm barely going to be able to scratch the surface today. And I'm, I'm just thankful how the Lord spoke to me through the book of Hebrews as I prepared for this message. Uh, just amazing. I've been through Hebrews several times in my life and I've spoke on it even. But the God, God just, as he always does, we know this is the living word of God. And as he does so many times, God reveals new things to me in the scripture. And just Hebrews, it was just amazing to go back through that. And it gets you an appreciation for the perfection of our Savior. And that's what the message is called. It's just called perfection of our Savior. And the great news about that is I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. Hate to burst your bubble if you thought you're perfect. But you're not perfect and I'm not either. And we needed a perfect Savior. And I always say this, I can't die for your sins because I'm not perfect. And you couldn't die for my sins for the same reason. Um, physically, you could, you could save one another's life. Uh, if I were to, to fall down of a heart attack, hopefully one of you would come up and start doing chest compressions. I hope somebody would. Uh, but you know, as far as our eternal life, there was only one person that was qualified to fill the job, and that was our Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's look into that this morning. Uh, the first place we're going to be, we're, we're going to leave Matthew now so you don't have to hold your place. We're going to go right into the book of Hebrews. So if you would turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. And we're going to look at that. If, you're, if your Bible is marked at all, uh, mine in Hebrews, the, the very start after it says the letter to Hebrews, it says the superiority of the person of Christ. And then right below that it says Christ is superior to the prophets. And it goes in, in the first part of Hebrews, it talks about how Christ is superior to uh, the prophets, is superior to the angels, he's superior to Moses, and it just, it just goes right down the line how he is the perfect God-man. And that's what we're here, we're here to worship him today. The Bible says we have to worship God in spirit and in truth. How do we do that? If we're gonna worship him in spirit and truth, we have to know more about him. And I think about that passage often that Paul was preaching, I believe it was on Mars Hill, and there was an inscription on one of their altars that said to the unknown God. And Paul, Paul continued to take out, uh, take scripture and just to, to, to lambast them for saying they're, they're, they're speaking to the unknown God we're not preaching about an unknown God today. We're not worshiping an unknown God. Our savior is not unknown. He's known to us through the scriptures. And so the only way we're gonna to get to know him though is if we spend time with him in prayer, reading our Bibles and letting him speak to us through the scripture. There's so much in here about him. And uh, so let's take a look here. Let's start off with the, uh, Hebrews chapter one, the first four verses. It says, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners "...spake in time past unto the Father by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and the upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high." being so much better or being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Man, talk about the start of a resume. Man, this is just right off the bat. There is so much packed into these four verses. We're going to take a look at that today. Look at verse one, it says uh, that God, it basically just says that God at diverse times spoke in times past by the prophets do you remember when we, we just a few minutes ago when we read in Matthew and we're reading about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the last, the last thing we read is the people asked, who is this? And they said he's the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And so they did mention he's a prophet. And by the way, that is true. He was a prophet, but he was much more than that. He was the son of God. But you think about it. It says that God used to speak by prophets, by people on earth. But look what it says. In verse 2 it says, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, that would be Jesus Christ, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Guess what? This is Christ's word, and so we get to look into it today, and God has spoken to us through this word, which is Christ's word and and God's word. And so he no longer is going to speak to us through an earthly man that's a prophet. He's going to speak to us from from his own mouth through the scriptures. And the scriptures are his word, and we know what the Bible says about itself, that the word abideth forever. See, everything in this world is going to pass away, but the word is going to last forever. And so as you look at that, in verse 2, it goes on, it just says here, he speaks to us now through his son, and then it says, he has appointed him heir of all things, by whom also we made the worlds. He makes two dramatic statements here in verse 2. One is that, that Christ was appointed heir of all things. Uh, I don't know about you, we all live in that hope that some relative we don't know about that has a lot of money uh, is going to leave us a big inheritance, right? Uh, The joke in my family is that we just get the person's bills. They just transfer down to the next person. So, uh, you know, my kids have a lot to look forward to. They get my stack of bills and they'll probably just write on them deceased. That way they don't have to pay them, send them back, return to sender. But, you know... We all would like to be a, relative, a long lost relative of Bill Gates, maybe you know, and get some of his fortune or whatever. But you know, you take the billionaires of this world. What we have it as an inheritance is way more than that. Uh, I was talking in the first service about the song "He Owns the Cattle on a Thousand Hills." Um, my wife used to sing that with the kids in chapel in the high school chapel almost every week, and they loved that. It really became one of their favorite songs. But um, Roger was sharing with me that. Uh, that his, in the first service, that his father helped the, the, I forget the writer's name of that song, but he helped the writer with with something in the last verse of that song. But, you know, really that point of that song is that Christ owns everything. And we're going to see here that he's the heir of that, but also we're joint heirs. The Bible calls us joint heirs in Christ. So anything that Christ has belongs to us also. So right off the bat, that's a great blessing uh, to us. But it says here, God hath appointed uh, Christ heir of all things. That means everything, including us. We are his. We are Christ's. And then it says here, not only that, but whom also he made the world. See, we have to realize a couple things. On Wednesday, I gave a brief message about the Trinity. But we have God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all eternal past and eternal present. There wasn't like one was there, God the Father was there, and then Christ came along later, then the Holy Spirit. No, all three in the Trinity were, were eternal past. Okay, And so it says he made the worlds. We find that very clear in John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, right? And the Word was with God and was God. It's very clear, Christ's qualifications. And it says here, he made the worlds. Not only that, and let's go to verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person... He upholds all things by the word of His power. Do you get that? We're here today because Christ is holding everything together. He's holding the universe together. You know, our earth revolves around the sun because God makes it happen. You took a breath just now because God allowed it to happen. Your heart beat just now because God allows it to happen. He holds all things together. And um, when you just think of the awesome, uh, the awesomeness of that thought that Christ holds her, aren't, aren't you glad it's not your responsibility? You know, in my lifetime, you know, we talked about being qualified for a job, but there's many times I was in charge of a specific thing. And if that, if it went, fell apart, guess what? The higher-ups are all on me because that, uh, I was the one in charge of it. And why did you let that happen? And, you know, and so, but imagine, you know, with God, just all things consist and they, they continue by his power. And notice it doesn't say just his power, it says the word of his power. Remember, Christ spoke the world into existence. God spoke the world into existence. They created it from nothing. Uh, and, and that's the difference. Everybody that's a creator or inventor now, you create it out of something. You have materials and so on. And and, and, and God spoke it into existence. So his word has power. And then look what it says in verse, continuing in verse three, it says, When he had by himself purged our sins. You know, do you realize that? We're gonna talk about that today, but he died for every sin I'll ever commit, and every sin I did commit, and every sin you'll commit, and every person in the world. There's seven billion people now. Who knows how many people were on this earth between the time of Adam and Eve to now. But I don't know about you, my sin rap sheet is pretty long. You know, we talk about criminals having a rap sheet, right? We are criminals before a holy God. We have a long rap sheet. But the great news is, Christ paid for that rap sheet. He paid our sin debt. So. When the almighty judge god looks at our folder it's gone because of the blood of christ we're perfect because we're in his blood not because we're anything special about us bible says there is none righteous no not one in the book of romans but you know i don't know about you but i'm thankful god paid for my rap sheet because i don't deserve a home in heaven but god's going to give it to me anyway because it's a free gift and it shows you how much you know we, we just went through valentine's day not long ago and we talked about the love of christ but nobody loves us like God loves us. God knows everything on my rap sheet. You may know a few items on my rap sheet. My wife knows the most items on my rap sheet, but you know, you may know a few of those things, but Christ knows all of them. And some of you've, some of you've heard my mouth say a dumb, a really dumb or stupid thing. In fact, the more I get to speak, pastor, you need to hurry up and get back if you're listening, because I, I'm, the more I speak, the more dumb things I'll probably say. But you know. You've only heard those. God knows even the thoughts where my brain was smart enough to intervene and say, don't say that. You know, so God knows every little thing about us, but yet he loved us so much and he knew the only way we were going to get reconciled to God is through the blood of a savior. And I love this word here. It says he had by himself purged our sins. You ever hear these great, uh, like a great war story where one man held off, you know, like a whole platoon and they didn't know how it happened. And, you know, I've heard some of those. I read... uh, uh, we have We have this book here called i think it's called it 's either called Medal of Honor or Medal of Valor and it has all the people that received that award over the years and there 's like a quick one or two page um, description of how they they fought off in battle and, it, and man it's tremendous what one person could do with you know God giving him the wisdom to stand up and just and and do what 's right, but it says that Christ did this himself, he purged our sins, and then look what it says. After that, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. See, Christ's rightful place is on the right hand of God. He left that to come to this earth to die for you and me so we could have a home in heaven. Isn't that amazing? He left sitting at the right hand of God. You ever, you ever got the chance to sit right next to somebody important uh, in life? It might be somebody that meant a lot to you, like just mom or dad. When you're a kid, just getting mom or dad's attention is pretty awesome. But, you know, I think about, there's been a few times I've sat next to somebody uh, famous. Uh, You know, when I went to uh, Paul Westfall's funeral, I was about, I was just a few feet from Charles Barkley. Got to talk to him a few minutes. And, you know, whether you love him or hate him in sports, he was a big, big icon. But, you know, that just pales in comparison to be able to be at the right hand of God and for us to be joint heirs of Christ. And it says that he sat down on the right hand on the majesty on high. That was after his death. Burial, resurrection, then he showed himself for 40 days to his believers, and then he ascended back up into heaven. And then what did he say when he left? He's going to go and prepare a place for what? For you and me. And that's how special we are to him, and we're going to see that as we move forward here. And verse 4 says, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance, and who's the inheritance from? His heavenly father, he obtained a more excellent name than they. So one of the things that says on his resume, on his list of qualifications, is that he's higher than the angels. Remember, angels are a created being. Satan was a created being. He likes to think he's equal with God, but Satan is not eternal. Only God and you know, the Trinity is eternal. And so when you you look at that, Satan has deceived himself in his own mind to think he's equal with God, but he forgets he's a created being, just like us. And so it says here that he's more excellent than they. And so um, he's our creator and our heir. Let's move on to the next point, which is that he's the captain of our salvation. He's the captain of our salvation. Uh, Flip over, if you would, you're in Hebrews 1. Flip over to Hebrews 2 and verse 9. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. So back in Hebrews 1, we again... He mentioned that he created all things, that he's holding up all things, and that he's the heir of all things. And because he's the heir of all things, you and I as Christians are the heir of all things. And that's exciting. So let's go into verse two, uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 9. It says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Now, seems like a contradiction at first. You just read that Christ is is better than the angels, but look what it's putting it in context here. It says we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Now, in other words, when he came to this earth, he left heaven. He came down to this earth lower than the angels, right? And he came to die on the cross for us. So he was he was he came in the flesh, right? He was he was mankind in the flesh. So it says he was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death. Why did he have to die? He had to die for your sin and my sin. He says. He crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, now look at this, if this, doesn't, if this doesn't touch you to your very heart and soul, this next phrase, that he should taste death for every man. Guess what? He tasted death because of you and because of me. If that doesn't shake you to the core that he had to die on the cross because of our sin, but guess what? The good news is he loved us and he did it willingly. He even said, that, you, know, he, you know, remember he was praying, and he said, prayed that the cup could pass from him because it was such a big burden, but then he said, not my will, but thine. And so the good news is, it's a, it's a, we all know it's a sad story that he came and he got beat and he got um, put to death on the cross and all the humiliation he went through here on earth, but he did it as an act of love for you and I, and that's what makes the story wonderful because he did it out of love. I know most of you, if, if somebody you love was suffering, you'd rather go through it than them. Whether it be a physical ailment. When my kids used to have earaches in the middle of the night, I wished it was me instead of them. You know, just because they just cry out in pain. And it was always, nowadays, you, get, you can get at least the nurse helpline 24-7. You have urgent cares open 24-7. But back in the day, you just couldn't wait for the sun to come up because you needed to get to the doctor or you needed to get some treatment or get medicine. And now we have... Thankfully, like 24-hour pharmacies and stuff like that. And it's still, it's a long wait to get the help you need sometimes. But it says here uh, that he tasted death for every man. And the, the thing is, he tasted death for every man, whether or not they accept him as Lord and Savior or not. Do you realize he died on the cross for everyone? The Bible says in the most famous verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he died for every man. But the thing is, the only ones that are going to get to go to heaven are those that have trusted him as Messiah and believe what he did for them on the cross. See, it's a free gift to everybody, but only some people are going to open the gift. You know, only so many people are going to open that gift. And so it says here in verse 10, for it became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things. Again, uh, talking about him creating everything and and holding everything together basically, and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Uh, Now, uh, this week we're talking about the perfection, the perfection of our Savior, and specifically his qualifications. What makes him qualified to be our Savior? Well, so many things that we've already seen, but as we look in here, it said he's the captain of salvation perfect through sufferings. What sufferings? the sufferings he had to, to go through when he came down here on this earth for our sin. And then, don't forget, when he died on the cross, he had the sin weight of the whole world on him. And so much that the, the father had to turn his back just for that, for that time when he paid for our sin debt. And, and uh, when you think about that, the, the miracle of that is that we are holy before a just God for one reason, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason we can be perfect or, or holy and he said in verse 10 that he's the captain of our salvation. He's made perfect through sufferings. Then verse 11 says, For both he that sanctifieth, that would be Jesus Christ, and they who are sanctified, that would be you and me, are all one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you get that? For both he that sanctifieth, Jesus Christ, and they who are sanctified, that's us, are all one. And look what it says here. He's not ashamed to call them brethren. Do you know that word brethren in the Bible always refers to the saved of God? Brethren's not used to talk about unsaved people, it's always talked about saved people. So when you, you know, it's like we, we call each other our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ, why? We have the same Heavenly Father, and we're on the same, we're all going to the same place, and we look forward to that, to rejoice together. But it says here, Christ is not ashamed. He went to the death on the cross for every sin I've ever done and will commit, but yet he was not ashamed of me. He went to the cross willingly. And that's an amazing thought right there. Because you, if you were with me, and I committed some outrageous sin, there might be a shame in that. You know, we used to, when I was a kid, I don't know that people say it as much anymore, but my mom used to tell me, you represent this family. And we have a big name to live up to, right? 12 letters, Skorzynski, that's a big name, you know? But she used to say, you represent this family. And you know what, when I got in trouble at school, I could care less what the school did to me. You know what I was worried about? What is mom gonna do when I get home? Because I shamed the family. You know, I shamed the family. And if you're a young, I was the youngest child, I don't know if any of you are the youngest child, but didn't you hate it when they compared you based on your siblings? Oh, I remember I had your sister in my class. Or, oh, I remember I had your brother in my class. And I'd be like, okay, is that good or bad? <laughs> were they good or bad in here? I don't know. Was the teacher already against me? Or is the teacher for me? Or what? Or did they expect me to live up to some expectation that my, I do know my f- sister that was four years older than me, She, her academics were stellar. She was like straight 4.0 student. I already knew I wasn't living up to her in the class. You know, I did okay, but I was no 4.0 student. But I thought about, I thought about Christ not being ashamed of us. Even though I have, remember I talked about that sin rap sheet? Even though I got that big long sin rap sheet that the devil's accusing me with, Christ is not ashamed to stand up for us. And he intercedes daily uh, with us with God. And God sees us as perfect and righteous through the blood of Christ on the cross. He was a perfect Savior that died for us. And we must keep our eyes on that. And, um, then, of course, in this verse in verse eleven here, it also mentioned that um, uh, we're the sanctifier and the sanctified are one. Remember, sanctified means set apart for a holy purpose. Christ came down sanctified to die for us on the cross, and then through his blood, we're made sanctified to where we can we can do the will of God and do what God has planned for us. And again, Uh, It's important to see that. So, we've seen that he's the under qualifications, he's our creator and heir. He's the captain of salvation. And uh, under this last point on number two here, let's look at the high priest. He is our high priest. Uh, Jump over to Hebrews chapter three for this one. Hebrews chapter three. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end? So in this passage, first of all, I get that we're in God's house today, right? But I'm not talking about the building, right? There's many people meeting in God's house all over the country, all over the world. But we're talking about being part of God's house as far as being a saved heir of Jesus Christ. Okay? And it talks about, in back, let's go back up to verse 1 of chapter 3. It it says, holy brethren there. Remember what I said about brethren? It talks about only the saved, and it said holy in front of that. Do you consider yourself holy? Do I consider myself holy? Well, the obvious answer for most of us would be no. But the reason that we're holy brethren is because of what Christ did for us. He was holy, therefore I'm holy. And, And so, again, it's nothing I did, it's nothing you did. It's just that through the blood of Christ we're made holy. And it mentions us as holy brethren. And then it mentions that, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. So his qualification is that he's also the high priest. And then it says, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in his house. In this passage, in this group of passages, it's talking about two things. One, that Christ is greater than Moses. We've already looked at he's greater than the angels. And then it says he's greater than the Moses. We have to remember that to the Jews, Moses was uh, was prominent. And to us, he's prominent. But to them, Moses was very prominent. And they're telling Christ is much greater than Moses was ever. Then he's going to refer to all the high priests in the Old Testament. And he's saying, Christ is better than all the high priests that were before. Now, most of you know my story. I grew up Catholic. And one of the things we had to do as, as Catholics was we had to go to confession on Sunday. And what confession was, if you've never been Catholic, this is what we had to do. We went in a little room and by ourselves a little, little cubicle and there was a little screen there and the priest was on the other side you couldn't see the priest the only way you had any idea which priest it was was by their sound of their voice like i could hear their voice and we'd say oh we got that one okay uh, he's going to be nice to me he's going to be unkind to me whatever's going to happen and that i always joked at that back in the sound booth there's a door there and there's a screen in that door a mesh screen it looks like a lot like the dividers that were between me and the priest in the confessional but basically, you would tell your priest, they'll tell the, the priest your, all your sins. The priest would then say, if you do these things, you'll be absolved. He'd say, they usually say something like, say so many Our Fathers, say so many Hail Marys, the prayers, and do this, and you'll, your, son, your sins will be forgiven you. But you know, the reason I bring that up, it was a very humbling thing to have to tell your sins to another man. And, and really, as a kid, a man I didn't even know, you know, just somebody that was behind that little partition. You could see a little shadow of his outline. I remember sitting in there as a kid going, who is that, what are they doing in there? You know, and what's going on? It was kinda, uh, a little bit, it was creepy to be honest, a little bit. But, you know, the truth is, confessing to them Aren't you glad we can confess our sins right to God? Why? Jesus Christ is our high priest. We don't need a different intercessor between us and God. God is the, Christ is the high priest. He's our intercessor. So we get to confess right to Christ. Now, if you're like me, um, usually when I do confessions to Christ, I don't have other people in the room because I don't want anybody taking notes. Oh, Theo did that. All right. I can use that for him. Get some later. And I don't know how many of you, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But have you ever noticed when you talk about something in the room and all of a sudden an ad for it pops up on your phone? I try to make sure my phone's out of the way, too, because I figure somebody's listening to my confessions. I don't want them. Next thing you know, it's popping up in your thing. Uh, church attend. No, <laughs> but, you know, uh, but uh, you know, it's like I, when I confess, I want it to just be between me and God. Now, sometimes we do confess to other people. Bible does teach that. It says when we do wrong, we're to confess our sin one to another and, and, and let them know I sinned against them, you know, and to get it right with them. But Christ is our high priest, and he's counted faithful. And it says, in verse 3, it says, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as much as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. So again, it repeats the fact that Christ is greater than Moses. And then it says, it, it hints to the fact that he who buildeth the house, we got to remember, Christ is the author and uh, builder of all things. Okay, now, we build stuff here on this earth, but everything we build is out of materials that already exist on the, in, in earth. Remember, Christ built out of nothing. And look what it says here in verse uh, 4. Every house is builded by some man. You know, people built this actual building. Somebody had to do the framing. Somebody had to put the trusses on the roof. Somebody had to uh, do all those things. It wasn't one person, obviously. It was a group of people building But they had to know what they were doing and built it, and obviously they did a good job because this building's been here, I believe, since the late 70s, so 1970s. So whoever built it did a good job because it's withstood. But it says here, he that build all things is God. So how much better a builder is Christ than any person on this earth? And then in verse um, five, it says, Moses was verily, was or truly was a faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things, which were be spoken after, which would be Christ. But look at verse 6. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the home firm unto the end. Um, If you're a sports fanatic or fan, I used to be in my early days. I still like sports, but I just don't have the time to dedicate to it. But They they always say, Oh, they're going to come into our house and bring that, you know, and then you'd you'd always want to play on your home court or your home turf. They call it the home court advantage. But it says here, Christ is the son over his own house. Who's in charge of the house? Christ. Christ is in charge of the house. And it says, Whose house are we? We get to be part of Christ's house if it says, Here, there's a catch here. It says, If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, firm unto the end. What does that mean? At some point in your life, you had to believe what Jesus did, not just head knowledge, but you had to believe that Christ came and died for you on the cross and that he's giving you a home in heaven because he said it. And we have to remember that Jesus Christ fulfilled over 300 uh, Old Testament prophecies to prove that he was the Messiah and to fulfill scripture. And um, we remember that he was, when he was put to death and then he was buried, then he rose again. For 40 days he stayed on this earth and showed himself to believers to empower them. One of the the recorded things of him showing to believers was to more than 500 believers at once that saw he had truly resurrected from the dead. The women were the first to see it because they ran to the tomb and saw it empty. But you know what? There's multiple, uh, anything, in, in any court in our land, including the Supreme Court, Christ would have been proven the Savior. And you know what? We just can take his word for it because he has always told the truth. He cannot lie. So it says, if we hold fast the confidence, what's the confidence knowing that he died for my sin on the cross? What's the rejoicing of the hope? The hope is a sure thing that's already happened, but your hope is your home in heaven. You know, because Christ died on the cross for you and you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, you get to go to heaven. And guess what? He did that for the whole world but the only people that get to go to heaven are the ones that have opened that gift and trusted him as Lord and Savior. See, he died for everybody's sin. He was put to death for all of our sin, but he, um, he says only those in his house, if we hold fast that. And so that's another, um, that's a great section on him being our high priest. Let's look a little further about his priesthood. Look at Hebrews chapter four. Jump, flip over to Hebrews four in verse um, 14. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For he, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. And look at those last three words that are the most important thing in this passage. Yet without sin. So see, our Savior was without sin. And again, that's why he's the perfect Savior because he died, he he had the qualifications to die for us and be that perfect Savior once for all. Remember those priests in the Old Testament? They would they would go into a, to um, to offer sacrifice or sin for their sins for their sins first, thence for the sins of the people. Our High Priest, Christ, didn't have to do that. He died once for all. He didn't have to die for his own sins. He died for our sins, and he only died once for all. And so you see how he was a greater High Priest than all the earthly High Priests that were here. Uh, if Christ would have not came once and died for all, you and I would still be sacrificing animals' blood to temporarily cover the sin until Christ came. But Christ already came. The Messiah's been here, so he's paid for that. And that's exciting for you and me. I don't know about you. I've hunted a lot in my life. I've fished a lot in my life, mostly in my early years. Uh, but I wouldn't want to have to sacrifice an animal and offer its blood up. Uh, you know, uh, To me, that would be just a little bit too much. You know, And so... When you look at that in verse 15, it says, We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. One of the greatest things about our Savior is that he left heaven, the right hand of God, like we talked about earlier. He came down to this earth as a baby, lived a full life. And as the Bible mentions here, he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. We all remember the story that um, the devil took Christ up and tempted him for 40 days in the wilderness. And he offered him things that were, the devil had the right to offer him those things because God had given him the authority to do that. But Christ resisted all that temptation. Christ was on this earth. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be tempted in the flesh. Now the difference between him and us is that as the Bible says here at the end of verse 15, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. See, that's what made him the perfect savior. He's never sinned, not even once. In fact, if you study the nature of God out, he cannot sin. The Bible says that that he is without sin. And so it's different than us. See, we're tempted, but all of us have fallen into the temptation. Our flesh has given in, we have sinned. first of all, we inherited Adam's sin nature, but we're saved by the second Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And so that's the excitement of that. And so he says, again, he was in all points tempted. But the neat thing is, he knows our infirmities. He knows what we're going through. He's felt the pain of things. He's felt hunger. He's felt all that stuff. So he knows what you're going through when you're facing a trial or those kind of things. He knows that. And so as you look at him being our high priest, what great qualifications a little bit more on the high priesthood. Let's look at Hebrews chapter five, because it goes on, and I think I said it already, but let me challenge you to be in the book of Hebrews this week on your own. I have to, the hardest part of this whole message was narrowing it down to just a few passages, because there is so much in Hebrews, that and it's specifically all talking about Jesus Christ and his qualifications. Let me encourage you to get in there and study it, because man, I had a hard time narrowing down what specific verses uh, were gonna do that, but I just trusted God to narrow down the ones that we needed today. So look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, it says this, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Remember we talked about earlier in the verses about his perfection through the suffering? He was already perfect, but um, it talked about him becoming our perfect savior. But it says, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Then verse 9, it says, being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he's the ultimate high priest. In verse nine, it says he is the author of our salvation. You know, my wife is an author and she she talks, uh, talks and communicates with different authors, but the author that wrote all of mankind, the author that wrote our salvation story, the author that really created you. See, my wife creates characters in her book, but Christ created us. See, and he made each of us different, and he made each of us special, and he died for every one of us. And the Bible says he's not ashamed to call us brethren. Remember we looked at that in the Bible? And so when you think about the awesomeness that my author, the person that created my story, was my savior and my creator, that's amazing. That's just amazing. Amazing. Um, And and it's just amazing to to see this. And it says here in Hebrews 5, um, again, um, verse 9, he says, he's the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. What does that mean? We have to do good works to get to heaven? No, it doesn't mean that. It means we obey him for salvation. Well, what does that mean? Well, he died. It's a free gift for all of us. But at some point, we got to go from it being a knowledge in our head to saying, I accept him with my heart and I trust in Him as my Lord and Savior. It's a, see, when I, I, I've said this many times, and I don't know if you, if you can relate to it in your life, but I was taught from birth that God existed. So I've never been a person that was an atheist or didn't think God existed or whatever. In my mind, I've always thought there was a God. That does not mean by any means that I was always saved. When I got saved, I was about 12 years old. Some people know the exact day. Uh, Pastor mentions his exact day many times for when he got saved. I know I was about 11 or 12. I know I was in an Awana program. It was in the basement of a church in Prescott, Arizona. We were doing Awanas, and Awanas is very much like our master's clubs here. You have a game time, you have usually a snack or a treat, you have a Bible message, and so on. Uh, but I remember we were just about to go to game time, and it was one of my favorite times. And I remember the Awana leader pulled me aside and said, Ask me this question. And believe me, I didn't want to talk to him. You know why? I liked him. He's a nice guy, but it was game time. I wanted to go to game time. But he said he asked me those questions and and at my level, but he said, Hey, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And my answer to him was literally, I hope so. And he says, You know, you don't have to hope. You can know for sure. And you know what? That moment, as a 12-year-old boy, was the first time in my life anybody told me I could know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Because you know what? Growing up knowing there was a God because my family taught it and the church I went to taught it. But I didn't know that I had to know him personally as my Lord and Savior. So it went from being a head knowledge to a heart knowledge when I trusted Christ as my Savior. Within a few moments, that Awana leader showed me from the Scripture how I could know I was going to heaven. I bowed, I prayed, and I asked the God to be my Savior. See, it's like if you were... If I just kind of walked off the platform here and either went into pastor's office or Mike's office because I was having a heart attack, and I just closed the door and just... You'd think, well, okay, that's kind of weird, Theo's speaking, but he just walked away from the pulpit. Well, I, I guess he needed some time alone in the office or something. And then you, you know, but if I didn't, but no, I would probably cry out, call 911 if I could. I mean, I don't know if I could, but I'd say, call 911. Somebody come up here and start doing chest compressions on me. Help me. But you know, when you're, before you know Christ as your Savior, that's really where you're at. You know, you don't know, you may even know a little few facts about God, but until you accept him and you say, God, I believe what you did for me on the cross of, uh, of Calvary. I believe that you were perfect and died for my sins. I want you to be my Savior. When we cry out like that audibly, really the saving's already taken place in our heart. It's not the prayer that saves us. It's our belief in Him. The whole thing of, we're not going to be in there today, but the whole thing of Hebrews 11, if you read through that, it's by faith, by faith, by faith. I don't care if you were in the Old Testament or if you were alive when Christ was on this earth, or if you're alive now, it's all by faith. Just a different perspective. In the Old Testament, they had faith that the Messiah would come. When Christ was here on earth, they had to recognize that Christ was the Messiah. And us that are here now, we have to look back to the cross and say that was our Messiah that died on the cross for me. He was my perfect Savior. And what I'm trying to point out today is that he was qualified. He was the author of our eternal salvation. And he was called of God, it says in verse 10, a high priest. God vouches for our Savior, Jesus Christ, for his son. You might remember when Jesus was baptized, the Spirit landed on him like a dove, and the voice from heaven from God called out, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And so God, the Trinity, vouched for Christ as well. And so he was our high priest. Okay, lastly today, let's look at point number three, which is redemption. 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 See, so you and I need to be redeemed. Redemption is kind of like, uh, let's say you have a ticket to get into an event, and they either take your ticket, or some places you go, they put a hand stamp on you or whatever, but you go in, that's your redemption into the, into the place you're going to. You, you, some, you've either paid money to get in there, somebody invited you, whatever the case might be, uh, you were in. Well... Um, Here, Christ redeemed us. Let's jump to Hebrews chapter 9. We're almost done, but there's so much to see in Hebrews 9 here. Let's just uh, finish strong here. Hebrews 9.11 says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into Are entered in once, that's important, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. In other words, Christ took our place. And then it says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And then verse 15, which is just the highlight of this section, it says... For this cause, he being Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that they were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And if you go back to verse 11, it says, But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come. What is your and yours and mine? What is our good thing to come? It's our home in heaven, right? It's our place where, this place is temporary. Our home's in heaven. Our eternal salvation, and then the eternal place that Christ prepared for us, that's the good thing it's talking about in verse 11. And then in verse 15, it said, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. What does it mean to be called? That means you've called on God to, to, as your Lord and Savior. See, Christ is calling out to everyone. God's calling out to everyone. But only some people are answering that call. And the people that answer that call are the ones that accept Christ as their Savior and become Christians. And then, guess what? We talked about God's house. Then you truly are a part of God's house. I'm going to say something that's shocking maybe to some people, but Mountain Avenue Baptist Church doesn't save anyone. I'm a Baptist because I believe in the doctrine of the Baptist movement. But the truth is the way we get saved is through our faith in Jesus Christ. We don't have to be one specific church. We don't need to be that, this or that. But this church doesn't save anybody, Jesus Christ saves them. And guess what? More people are open to the gospel at Easter and Christmas than any other time. So here's what's happening. We have a window of opportunity to tell people, you don't have to go through the whole gospel with them. I was talking to somebody after the first service and they said, I said, hey, I was encouraging them to pick up 10, those 10 tracks that Mike mentioned back on the table and pass them out. And the person said to me, Well, I'm really scared. I don't know what to say. I'm not good at. it. I said, you don't have to say anything. Just hand him the invitation and get him to to hear about it. See, what happened was, the part of the story I left out about my salvation and the Awana leader, there was a young boy, same age as me, in my class at public school. I went to public school all my life. Boy in my class that was not too shy to ask me to come to Awana program. Do you realize that boy that invited me to his Awana group to where I got the knowledge of God to where I got saved, He has much a part in my salvation as the Awana leader that led me to the Lord. Because he didn't didn't sit down on the playground at public school and say, Hey, uh, let me show you some out of the scripture. You know what he just said? Come to Awanas. It's fun. You get to hear about God. There's treats. There's prizes. There's games. You know, he had me at food and games. That was good enough. But you know, he has just as much a part of my salvation as the Awana leader. And by the way, that little boy didn't save me. And my Awana leader didn't save me. God saved me. Hopefully that's your story too. If you don't, don't leave, if you don't know that, don't leave this building without knowing that. If you're watching online, uh, make sure you text or contact the church for more information because it's terrible. it'd be terrible to go through life and not have the eternal hope, the good things promised like we just mentioned in this passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for the book of Hebrews. And Lord, what a blessing it's been in my life this week. I praise you for showing us so much out of the scripture and there's so much more in there that I didn't even get to cover. But Lord, the most important thing is that, you're, that you are our uh, savior. You are our high priest. You're our creator. You're our captain of salvation. You're all those things, Lord, and you've redeemed us. And all that we gotta do is accept that redemption. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this auditorium or watching online, Lord, I just pray that if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, that today would be that day and then, Lord, those of us that do know you, help, help us to realize the magnitude of what you've done for us, that you've reconciled us to a holy God, given us a place to be after this life that we don't deserve. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Brother Jesse's is going to come up and lead us in a song. Brother Michael, be down front here. If you don't know that for sure and you want to talk to one of them, uh, please come down. If you do know him, I'm just going to encourage you during this song, Take a few minutes and thank Jesus for everything he has done and provided for you. So Brother Jesse, come and lead us, and uh, Brother Mike will be here.